Hey everybody, this is your host Matt Castellini and welcome to Chicago Capital. I had an absolute blast catching up with a good friend of mine from college, Kristen Pacifico. Kristen is an up-and-coming rock star investor here in Chicago, currently working on the investment team at TechNexus. Given the fund structure at TechNexus, Kristen spends a large amount of her time strategically thinking about how startups and large corporations can work together and find synergies. She focuses on early-stage direct-to-consumer and e-commerce businesses, marine and outdoor recreation startups, and diversity, inclusion, and impact investing. Prior to TechNexus, Kristen worked in a variety of operating and investing roles. She was an early employee at Home Chef, where she worked on the finance team and was able to help steer the company through its merger with Kroger. Before her time at Home Chef, she started out as an investment banker at Robert W. Baird here in Chicago. She primarily worked on the sell-side M&A team with industrial companies, similar to some of the corporate partners that she now works with today at TechNexus. Kristen graduated from Notre Dame, and during her time there, she co-founded a micro-lending nonprofit called Jiffy, which she still serves on the board of today. Finally, Kristen is a fabulous writer, and you can find some of her most recent pieces in the show notes. In this episode, we talk all things early-stage investing, the Chicago startup culture, and the unique attributes of TechNexus. And now, here's my conversation with Kristen Pacifico. Kristen, this is a big day for Chicago Capital. You're actually the first Notre Dame grad that I've had on the show. So this is a historic day. Thanks so much for joining us. Love it. Yeah, thanks for having me, Matt. Great to chat. I think we fell into the stereotype against Notre Dame right away by talking about it right off the bat. So I apologize to listeners for that. But I I gave listeners a little bit of your background, but I'd love it if you could walk us through your professional background. And maybe we could start with your experiences in investment banking, how that experience impacted and shaped your career to date. Sure. That sounds great. So just to give a little bit of background, as you did mention, I'm a Notre Dame grad. I studied finance and international peace studies when I was in school. Always loved finance, anything technically finance from personal finance to commercial banking to transactions, M&A, advisory. So it was a little bit of a finance nerd, but then always liked to think big picture, love to write papers, think about case studies, that type of thing. So I have a bit of a blend between financial and then operating startup entrepreneurial experience. And I think that my time at Notre Dame really helped pave the way for that. So when I was an undergrad, I did a bunch of different financial internships. I worked at JP Morgan, Robert Baird, and really built out a technical foundation. I did have experiences in wealth management, commercial banking, credit risk analysis, and then traditional investment banking. So uh, sell-side M&A was the, the bread and butter of the work that I did and also touched some IPO activity. But then on the other side, I was also really excited about entrepreneurship and wanted to explore that a little bit more. So I co-founded a microfinance business, a micro lending company called Jiffy, which I'm still on the board for today, and also worked at a SaaS company called Fenley when I was an undergrad. So I was always trying to figure out exactly how to marry both of these worlds together and how to continue to build and develop experiences that could connect the two of them. I was always excited about venture capital and was trying to figure out the best way that I could build a toolkit that could ultimately help me be successful in a role like that. Coming out of school, I worked in investment banking, as you mentioned, at Baird. So mostly mid-market companies, industrial companies. And then from there, I moved into an early stage startup 
I joined the Home Chef team Series A and stayed with the company. It was one of the early team members on the finance team and actually worked on the exit to Kroger. So that was a really exciting success for the Chicago ecosystem to have a startup exit like that. And then from there, I actually pivoted into venture capital. I'm now with a firm called TechNexus, which would love to be able to chat more about them as well and, and what I do. I'm interested about your move to Home Chef. What was it about Home Chef that made you want to leave investment banking? I understand it seems like you were really trying to build a, a toolkit for ideally venture capital one day, but what was it about Home Chef that really drew you to that team and drew you to that, that opportunity? Great question. So I felt very fortunate of the timing of things. I had started to have some initial conversations thinking bigger picture about where I wanted to go. and was connected to the Home Chef team. I think there were a lot of similarities just in my background with the CEO, Pat Patelic. He was from South Bend and had worked in tech investment banking for a mid-market firm and always had a passion and excitement about tech, coding, and building something. So when we met, I just really connected with him and the vision that he was trying to build. And I also thought that food tech was compelling, but more so what spoke to me was the idea of bringing more people around a table and using technology as a means to do that, especially working in investment banking. My hours were crazy and I was never home to have a meal. And just thinking about how something like this could potentially <laughs> change the way that we eat and spend time together was really exciting to me. At the time, there was a lot of white space in the industry. Meal kits in general were pretty fudgling and Blue Apron was around. But I think even this company, Home Chef, was really early. I mean, we had a very small headcount. We were working out of a small office over in River West where a bunch of other startups were, Trunk Club and a WeWork location. So it, it just felt like a really amazing opportunity to be able to join something that was new to help build something pretty much on the ground floor and also to see and learn a bit more about the Chicago tech ecosystem. It just felt like the cards aligned and felt really lucky that the time and place was right for me to get to connect with the team. Yeah. Did you consider going out to Silicon Valley and finding a, a Silicon Valley startup to join? Or did you know, or when did you make a decision about Chicago's where you really wanted to plant your roots and you wanted to be involved with the tech community here as opposed to New York or uh, a Silicon Valley? So when I went to Home Chef, I didn't necessarily have geographical blinders on, but again, the timing of the opportunity being in Chicago, it just presented itself. And when I was looking to move into venture, I think that was probably when I did some exploration and thought about moving out to the coast. I spent some time in the Bay Area and talked to some incredible startups. And I still think that it's really important for investors and entrepreneurs alike to be able to spend some time out in the Bay because the growth mindset, the excitement about around ventures is just it's compelling, it's exciting, it's electric. And I think it's different than Chicago, but still Amazing. That said, I thought that there was a wealth of opportunity in Chicago. I know that we talked a little bit about the article that I wrote, but just the diversity of the different types of companies that are here, the diversity of talent. I just loved my experience and time in Chicago and especially knowing that it's a bit up and coming for tech. I think being part of that story and help build that was entrepreneurial in and of itself. 
Yeah, I completely agree. I, that article you wrote, I was going to mention it at some point. I think everybody who's interested in the Chicago investing ecosystem should check it out. It'll be linked in the show notes. But for <laughs> me, I, I remember in the early days of my kind of career search, leaving my previous job, heading to business school, I, I did actually use that article did uh, become like a great resource for me to narrow my thinking about why Chicago is a really exciting and up and coming ecosystem. But your time at Home Shift, you have a quote in that article that I love. You talk talked about wearing many hats and why working at an early stage company requires everybody to wear many hats. What were the kind of hats that you had to wear working at a Series A company? What skills did you develop? Would love to hear a little bit more about the day-to-day experiences at Home Chef. So one of the biggest things about working for a startup is you're kind of title agnostic. I think I came in joining the finance team, but as you mentioned, this notion of wearing many hats and the willingness to roll up your sleeves and get involved in basically anything that could demand attention, focus, and project development is just so important. So I think some of the main projects I was working on, and maybe this idea of wearing many hats, is being able to look at problems from many different angles and perspectives and try to build something that's concise and easily digestible depending on who's picking it up. So one of the first projects that I worked on was helping develop and build out KPIs, which are key performance indicators for the company. And that was something that was an investor-facing document at first. So trying to understand what's important to showcase, how do we gather that data and present it in a way that's digestible to investors was one of the most important tasks that I developed when I was being brought on board and then also continued to evolve during my time at the company. And even after integrating, thinking about how to build out e-commerce KPIs versus what retail KPIs might look like for a company. Separately, there are all sorts of different KPIs that are needed for internal purposes, for different operations teams. So just being able to jump in depending on where the immediate need is, leaving your humility at home a little bit and just being able to roll up your sleeves and jump into things that may be foreign or your first time doing it, knowing that you're going to build it, break it and rebuild it all over again. I think that's just one of the keys of taking on an operating role, especially a little bit earlier. It's just pretty flat and you might need to hop in and do things that maybe fall outside of your core competencies or the job description as as you think it appears. And I think that's honestly the fun about it is just that the creativity that comes with it and that unknown that allows you to grow skills that maybe you didn't think you would be growing out of the gates. I feel like the meritocracy, the many hats you're wearing is unique to a startup, but I'm curious, did your time in investment banking, the work ethic you built there, I'm sure must have come in handy when you transitioned over to a startup, but it's a move that a lot of people make right out of school. I'm curious about looking back on it. Is that something you would recommend to anybody interested in startups, anybody interested in venture capital, that sort of two years out of school, do investment banking, and then then make a switch either to investing or to operating. Is that a path that you would suggest other people try and take? I've talked to a lot of different types of people who found their path to venture in many different ways. I don't think there's a one-size-fits-all solution for what will guarantee success. But for someone like myself, I've always liked to feel prepared and I like to have a plan. And 
even though I know that things are always subject to change, I think is a first step out of school, being able to grind and to work really hard and to completely saturate and emerge yourself into something and to learn as much as possible. I think having an intensive analytical experience like that right out of school, whether it's investment banking or consulting, thinking really strategically, I think that those are really great skills to hone immediately and gives you a really solid foundation for anything that you'll do after that. So for me personally, I think investment banking translated really well to especially some of the later stage work. So thinking bigger picture about directionally, where does this company go? What does an exit look like? And how does that happen? And then being able to translate white glove materials, being able to build a sim or develop a deck, some of those skills that were fundamental to my training at Baird, and then to be able to bring that to a startup, I think was really valuable. But even more so today, some of the work that I'm doing with TechNexus is also working with big corporate partners and trying to understand what their corporate strategy is. So I think, again, some of the work that you do when you're getting transaction experience and just having that lens of corporate development or where are we going as you put on this growth mindset cap, I think is really valuable. You mentioned TechNexus, and I think that's a good segue. When you left Home Chef, what was it about TechNexus that attracted you? I'm sure you probably had a good selection of maybe next steps you could take. Your resume was super strong at that point, awesome experiences. What was it about TechNexus that drew you in? And maybe just to give listeners an idea of what you guys at TechNexus are all about. Absolutely. The team at TechNexus was what set it apart for me as I was talking to different firms. So I think just having a really amazing, diverse group of individuals who are hardworking, but also really humble, I think that was what set apart TechNexus for me. And additionally, the TechNexus model is pretty unique relative to a traditional venture firm. So I think when I was looking at different options, traditional VC is very much but the fund structure is based off of working with LPs. Our LPs at TechNexus are corporate partners. So when you're thinking about the work we do, we're really trying to develop and build an ecosystem that enables innovation between corporate partners and startup companies, being able to connect them earlier in a startup's life cycle and think about how startups can bring innovation into strategic planning for corporations. So I think that in and of itself is different than just a financial returns growth mindset, even though that's an important part of what we do. It was that and so much more that really excited me about the TechNexus model. That's really interesting. Is there some synergies there as well? Having corporate partners as your LPs, does it inform your guys' view of looking at a really early stage investment and thinking about the exit strategies that it may have somewhere down the line? Do your LPs ever get involved in acquisitive behavior? How does that relationship work and evolve at TechNexus? Sure. So the goal is to make early stage investments. Typically, we're looking at a seed stage company. Our sweet spot is somewhere in that 100 to 500K initial check in. And again, our industries and some of the core verticals that we look at are specific to our corporates. So some of those industries include aviation, marine, audio and media, future of work, first response. There are a lot of different industries that we'll look at and we'll evaluate. And I do think that because we're working with corporates, 
there could very well be an accelerated track to exit for some of these companies. But I think the beauty of our model is that this is not exclusively strategic capital coming in. It's TechNexus as the investor. And so we're not looking to to push anything. We're a co-investor. So we're not looking to prematurely dampen valuation for an early stage business. We're really focused on building collaboration between both sides and helping both sides of the table grow. When was TechNexus founded? I, I think it's really interesting. I think you guys sit, and correct me if I'm thinking about this the wrong way, but you know, you're not necessarily a corporate VC, but you're not exactly a traditional venture fund. So interesting. What kind of was the motivation for the kind of innovative fund style that you guys championed? So TechNexus was founded in 2007. So TechNexus has been around Chicago for the origins of the tech scene here in Chicago, and it was really built to be the clubhouse of Illinois Tech Association. So Terry Howerton and Fred Hoke are our founders, GP CEO, and they had this vision of building a place for tech leaders to come together and to be able to talk about their ideas and have a place for their businesses to grow, to incubate, and that continued to take off. And in the most recent years, TechNexus has recently started investing. So basically trying to pull together all the resources that we have to actively make investments into seed companies. So it's really an evolution of our model that started as a way to connect prominent tech leaders and people just looking to start and build a business, connecting that entrepreneurship community within Chicago, and most recently in the past few years, has been very actively investing. Is the team made up of ex-operators such as yourself? Are you able to plug into portfolio companies if needed? And I guess, what kind of role do you guys take post-check? Our team is a pretty diverse one. So I do have operating experience. We do have team members who previously founded businesses. We do have team members who are eager to get to the operating side of things. So I don't think it's outside of the purview to think that people on the TechNexus team today would go and work for one of our operating companies. That said, typically our team members on the investment side are working on sourcing and screening deals, working on deal execution, and then bringing those companies into our portfolio, portfolio management. But from there, we do have a collaboration team that will help connect the portfolio company and onboard them to our corporate partner. So there is a dedicated team working on making sure that there are touch points, that the doors to communication are open for basically enabling that opportunity and putting together the strategic use cases that we see and making sure that's carrying forward and on track over the course of the relationship. If I'm a founder and I'm coming in to pitch you at TechNexus, what should I expect from the due diligence process? How long does it usually take for you guys? How many meetings do you like to have before you get conviction? Are you metrics-based? Are you more founder, strength of founder-based? Need to see a certain TAM? How do you guys go about that process? Just really curious. Definitely an art more than a science. I think a blend of an art and the science. So we respect all the founders that we talk to implicitly and want to be able to get a quick answer. So especially during a raise, we always work. That's one of the immediate questions that we'll discuss with founders is what is your timeline and how can we match it or beat it? 
typically for us, we do like to see that an institutional investor is leading the round and we're coming in and co-investing. So it's not a hard and fast rule, but typically we do like that terms have been set. And then, of course, we are able to size up in subsequent rounds. So I would say, again, no hard and fast rules. And a big part of what we're looking to do is building relationships with founders. So oftentimes we may be talking to an amazing team and they're looking to build something that I think could really dramatically impact our corporate partner and vice versa. And we do work with the founders to develop a collaboration thesis for how this capital could be used to help their business grow. But that might not be the first time that we talk to them. They might not be actively raising. It might be earlier than seed. So I would love to be able to talk to as many founders as possible, especially if they're in this purview of where we may invest. And to that end, there really is no kind of perfect window of time for it to happen. But oftentimes we like to be there early and often talking to founders, building the relationship. And then when the time comes, if that strategic rationale is built out and established and we think that there is room for true collaboration. That's when the capital comes in. Lastly, that I'll add to that is we really believe in writing the smallest check possible to make this happen. And so that's what we aim to do is we're working with founders, having skin in the game and notion of goodwill that we're on the same team and we're looking to build together. And oftentimes the smallest check in the door is an enabler of making that happen. You mentioned your purview of where you might invest. I know one area that is of interest to you is travel and leisure and the changes that's gone through, especially through COVID. I'd love if you could talk a bit about, and you have another great piece, which I will include in the show notes, but you had a great piece on Medium. And at some point we should talk about your writing. It's excellent. And I'd love to hear how it allows you to synthesize all your learnings about whatever market or industry. But I'd love it if you could talk about what you're seeing in the outdoor recreation market that excites you. And just so you know, you're talking to a guy who went on a hike four years ago. So I am, I'm a potential consumer of all these apps you might be about to mention. So I just want to forewarn. I so appreciate that you're reading what I'm writing. I think that's always the struggle is, especially as you're trying to write pieces, it takes so much time to put down, to be concise in your writing. So I have so much respect for people who are writing constantly and getting their thoughts and words out there because it, it just becomes so much easier over time, the more and more that you produce. So I appreciate that. Love the shout out. But as far as it relates to outdoor recreation, I think one of our corporate partners is very prominent in boating, recreational boating, recreational marine. And so thinking about outdoor recreation as a category at large is just an area where we saw a surge in activity during COVID as people were seeking opportunities and ways to get out of their houses and apartments and be able to do something fun safely. Outdoor recreation was something that quite a few people turned to. So whether that was on water or hiking or camping, there was just a surge of activity. And honestly, it's a very clunky industry that hasn't seen a lot of tech and innovation brought to it. So I think that's one of the main reasons why it's so ripe for disruption. We do have a few companies in our portfolio. I think Catchco Mystery Tackle Box is one of the best companies that I can talk about as an example of a startup that is based in Chicago that's built almost a tech following. They've just exploded when it's come to bringing different users to their platform, engaging those users, and building content and community that's accessible. I think their goal of trying to get 
more individuals fishing and on the water and doing things like that is pretty remarkable. And just the number of views that they have for their online videos and what seems to just be an abundance of content that's being shared really makes people feel connected. So I think one of the biggest trends that we'll see as a for successful companies in this space is a way to engage customers by building these online communities and giving people a platform for their voice to be heard, for their pictures to be seen, to validate that biggest catch that people are talking about. So I think that's probably one of the trends that we'll see is just ways to make booking trips, getting outside and other ways of enabling that. Having tech platforms, apps, sites to enable that is where we'll probably see a lot of excitement in the next few years. The sense I have about the outdoor space is that there are all of these little verticals within outdoor. And within each vertical, there is a really strong community. And I think Catchco is a great example of a company that was able to mobilize that community from the very early beginning. They like built out their Facebook community. That was, I think, the first genesis and then ultimately got it to such a robust place where providing a product was almost a second thought, but it, it worked because it was such a strong community. Is that kind of your feeling as well that within outdoor and leisure, tons of verticals, and they're all, they all have really strong and active and enthusiastic communities within them? Definitely. I, I think when you look at a company like Catchco specifically, they've been able to build this user base even on Instagram. I think across the different brands of Mystery Tackle Box, Catchco, and Carl's, they have over a million followers. So just thinking about what that means from a brand engagement perspective, and also thinking about how the younger demographic specifically relies so heavily on our phones and that's the primary way of connecting with one another. Even taking a step outside of that, there are more ways to connect with one another than ever. Going from Clubhouse to Dispo to Twitter, which is something that I'm newly trying to play around with. There's so many different ways to communicate with one another. And I think that companies, startups specifically, that are looking to engage that user base will have the most success because the future of outdoor rack and anything related to it is this younger demographic and finding a way to connect with them is probably what's going to create the longest lifetime value for years and years to come. And I think you'll have, it's almost like a situation where it has the ability to expand the TAM in that it's easier for people who are on the edge of, should I go camping next week? Should I go fishing? Should I do any of these outdoor recreations? These tech platforms are making it easier for people to make that first choice. Is that something that you've seen as well or you would agree with? So it can build that market size out because it's attracting more users that might otherwise not be into that sort of thing. Yes, it's absolutely an enabler. I think if you thought about 10 or 15 years ago, someone was talking to me about MapQuest. And I thought, how funny is it that we lived in a world where you would physically print out directions to do something? Now there are all sorts of apps and platforms like All Trails. Another one of our portfolio companies is called The Dirt. So basically, if you want to go hiking or you want to go camping, you download this app and you can see where you could stay to enable and to do this. I don't know how people previously did it, but just having this online this online site to be able to book and plan, especially at the last minute, because so many young people like to do things at the last minute. We're probably not the best at planning long-term. Being able to have apps that facilitate being able to book a last-minute trip, to get away for a weekend, to go camping, to go hiking, to have trails at your palm, and also being able to see how tech has 
has enabled this bank or library of different trails or different resources that you can use offline when you're out of touch or off the beaten trail from where you might have traditional Wi-Fi. Just seeing how tech has continued to expand and grow our ability to interact with the outdoors is amazing. And I think especially with COVID and individuals starting to build habits of being outside, I think we'll see more traction in this space than we previously have. I think it's probably one of the behaviors during COVID, maybe like food delivery that will be embedded in a sense in consumers. Once everybody is vaccinated, once things have returned to quote unquote normal, I think I think it's probably a trend that's here to stay. Speaking of other trends though, you mentioned future of work. Any other trends in 2021 that have you really excited or have you guys excited? Do you guys invest thematically? I mean, do you look for Bessemer Ventures calls it like roadmaps or do you have an investment thesis and you go out and try and find companies within that thesis or do you see what the market gives you and invest a little more opportunistically? How do you guys think about that? I would say our themes are more specifically driven by the needs of our corporates. So as we're thinking about building a corporate strategy and thinking about how we can bring innovation to a larger business that's been around for a hundred and something years and to think about different pockets of tech disruption and how we can basically capitalize on that and pull levers to make it beneficial to both the startup and the corporate, that's really what drives a lot of our interest is from conversations that we've had with our corporate partners to understand how we can best help. So I think another category that I'm particularly excited about is electrification at large and thinking about how many companies today are now building out the infrastructure for enabling an electric future, thinking about bringing electrification to vehicles, thinking about charging stations to enable this, thinking about improvements in battery technology, autonomy, everything across that spectrum is fascinating to me. And I guess that gets me charged up. So that's where I've been focusing a lot. Yeah, I did just make a joke. It's probably not very clever though. (laughs) Um, But I do do love this category and it's just exciting because across the spectrum, I've seen really young entrepreneurs who are excited about the space and building a more sustainable future. And then also seeing the byproduct of years and years of research and lifelong entrepreneurs who are dedicating their time and energy into developing cutting edge technology that will be enabler for the future. So I think that's a core area that's important to us, to our corporate partners, and we're trying to understand how we can best play in that space. I think that's really exciting. I loved that electrification pun. That was excellent. (laughs) I might have that be the quote for the episode, but I'd love to switch gears a little bit back to Chicago. You've been around in the ecosystem now for about five years and just curious about your thoughts about where the startup community is here in Chicago. Maybe some of your thoughts about how you would describe it, what your kind of prognosis is for the community. The Chicago ecosystem is, I think, unlike any other ecosystem because there are a collision of different things happening. So a city like Chicago is a city of industry. There are the most diverse environments anywhere in the U.S. in terms of big companies that have come in and have established their roots for a very long time. Anything from finance to food to insurance, basically any industry you could imagine exists in Chicago and has for a very long time. 
So I think the history of Chicago is very rich. And I think also blending with that is the diversity of talent that we have here. Knowing that there are incredible education programs in schools like Northwestern, Booth, which <laughs> Booth University of Chicago, um, uh, UIC, just top engineers. There's just a robust amount of talent here in the Midwest, in Chicago. And so I think trying to find a way to marry all of those things, it just results in creating this hub or a very natural epicenter for talent and tech and entrepreneurship to come together. I also think that this is an area that is still pretty young and vibrant and growing. And it's been exciting just to see how platforms like Built-in, Built-in Chicago, Techstars Chicago, hubs like TechNexus 1871 have continued to grow and explode. And also seeing how so many amazing startups are coming out of these different education centers like Polsky, The Garage at Northwestern, just seeing the talent put to use by building a better future, a vision for adding tech to the way that these different students or entrepreneurs envision the world. So I think the Chicago ecosystem is maybe unlike anywhere else I've seen, and it's really been built by the brow of sweat of so many talented individuals. And I think we'll continue to grow as a result of that. So I'm excited that I'm here and I'm a part of that story and hopefully continuing to help build that story. But especially coming out of COVID and thinking about the ability to have meetups and the ability for people to congregate and communicate again. I think that we're going to see really an excitement and a, a jump in activity as people are able to see the magic in person as opposed to a lot of the virtual meetups and things that we've been doing during the past year. One thing you've mentioned in your writings in the past, it is actually a leading city for multiple on invested capital. So in terms of the return you're getting at exit, are some of the best in the country here in Chicago. And that is one thing that Chicago really does have to speak to and to champion is the idea that the startups here, they bootstrap a little bit longer. The valuations are a little bit more reasonable. On this show, listeners, they've heard Midwest prices brought up, Midwest valuations. To you, what does that term sort of mean, You know, a Midwest valuation? How do the valuations in, in the Midwest really differ from the coastal hubs? <laughs> Yeah, it's just very different, you know, what we would consider to be like Bay Area valuations, which are through the roof off at times. And I think a lot of what we see in the Midwest is more conservative capital. So the idea of being able to bootstrap or to very efficiently put capital to use, being able to think about not just a growth at all cost mindset, but also turning and delivering profitability as these companies grow. I think what's exciting to me about looking at connecting that capital efficiency to the exits of the businesses that we've seen coming out of Chicago is these are not startups that are just continuing to get pumped with capital that are who knows where they're going to grow to. These are startups that are becoming true businesses that will probably have a lot of longevity, that will be profitable businesses that I think will be around for a really long time. So if anything, I think it just speaks to the type of entrepreneur that you see in the Midwest of someone who's really hardworking and who's able to take very little capital to drive returns on their business and to see those exits come and to see that happen, I think is really amazing. Do you think that the industry focus that we have here, the amount of Fortune 500 companies that are headquartered in and around Chicago, does that lead to 
the almost over-indexing of, and not in a bad way, but the over-indexing of B2B startups here that are built and eventually get bought by these enterprises. And it's a great route to an exit, but you don't see as many of the you know, coastal B2C, consumer tech, consumer-focused quote unquote unicorns here in Chicago. Do you think that industry mix is part of the reason? And do you think that needs to change in the future in order for the community to really skyrocket growth? Or should Chicago just keep doing what it's doing? It's all a matter of time. The more exits that happen, the more funds that get returned back to the city, back to more investments. What are what are kind of your thoughts on the long term game? A couple different thoughts there. I think there's a very natural overlap that has caused this explosion of B2B staff and why it's such a natural market for Chicago. And a big part of that is thinking about the exit potential given the number of corporations here in the city. So B2B is, again, fueling that conservatism, the conservative capital idea that backs a lot of this Midwest ideology. Separately, I think Chicago is at a really interesting turning point because there's a ton of attention happening right now in bringing diversity to tech and bringing more quality to this playing field. I think we're seeing this across a lot of different divisions. And I think from a lot of the research I've been doing, consumer does have high risk and the potential for higher returns, which again, may be a reason why we've seen less of it to date. But I also think that especially touching some of these up and coming industries of Chicago being a huge scene for food and food tech, we're going to see a lot more B2C naturally because of that. And also thinking about bringing diversity to tech, what we've seen with a lot of diverse or underrepresented founders is they're solving the problems that they see themselves And naturally, oftentimes that may result in building businesses that are more consumer focused. So knowing that there are initiatives like Get Cities, which has chosen its immediate first location to be in Chicago, to Chicago Blend, to P33 just announcing a new fund, to Fitstar Funds just announcing a new fund, Cleveland Avenue just raising a new fund that's going to focus on Black and Latinx founders in food tech. There's just so much energy and focus right now around bringing more quality and distribution to tech founders. And I think resultantly, we very well may see form representation across companies that might not be B2B as we've previously seen so much of in Chicago. I love that. And you mentioned some great organizations. I was going to ask you for any shout outs, any orgs you wanted to give, but you gave some great ones. We'll again, include those in the show notes, but you mentioned, and this is part of my favorite part part of the show. You touched on the huge food scene that exists in (laughs) Chicago. So Kristen, favorite Chicago restaurants, favorite shout outs you want to give, lay lay it on us. So my last name is Pacifico, which is Italian, if anyone is wondering. I know I do get a lot of call outs because it's also a delicious Mexican beer, but I'm very partial to Italian cuisine. So a recent restaurant I went to probably pre-COVID was Nonina along the river. Delicious chicken farm, probably the best I've ever had. But really anything Italian. I love Siena Tavern. I love Cortino. They've been staples during my time in Chicago. So I love anything Italian. I'm always excited to try something new that's (laughs) coming to the scene because Chicago always has new restaurants cropping up. But yeah. I think the boat's still out for me for pizza in New York versus Chicago. I'm uh, technically an East Coast girl, so I think my, my allegiances might lie with the, with thin crust from New York. But in terms of some of the best Italian food I've ever had, I think Chicago probably wins that spot in my heart. 
Yeah, I am reserving my opinion on New York and Chicago pizza for later in the show's run. I don't want to I don't want to give my thoughts on that too early for risk of losing every listener that I might have at this point, but that'll be a fun debate I'll have with somebody at some point. So as we wrap up, I'd love to hear any great resources, initiatives, clubs you belong to, anything that's helped you develop as a venture capitalist when you were working at a startup, anything that's really helped your development. The best piece of advice I think I can give is to read constantly and ask questions. It's something that I've tried to hold myself accountable to since I've been really young. And I think specifically to tech and entrepreneurship, it's one of the most important things. There are so many great minds out there, to your point, who are writing and sharing their experiences. And I think there are a lot of great platforms for engaging with this. Substack is a wealth of information. There's so many wonderful newsletters from top VCs that are pushing out content and beyond just market updates, which I think is really important to keep your pulse on what's happening via term sheet or Axios. I think being able to get some of these market theses and different input and analysis from some of the leading minds in tech is so important. I know I've talked about some of these previously, but I love not boring. I think to me, it really is enjoyable to take time out of my day to read what he puts out there. And there's another one by Bill Murphy called Understandably. And that's really just a quick sound bite of something interesting that he has studied and some other kind of just quick things that you might find interesting. So those are some of my favorites. But I think the most important thing is really just to continue to read and continue to ask questions because tech is constantly evolving. And the more you see, the more you're continuing to fuel your foundation and your base, and the more likely you'll be able to stitch together trends and take advantage of some really interesting pockets of value down the road. Yeah, developing that pattern recognition muscle that very few people come right out of the gates with. This has been great, Kristen. I really appreciate you coming on. Is there anywhere people can find you on Twitter, on LinkedIn? Where can people learn more about you and more about TechNexus? Yeah, I would love for you to connect with me on LinkedIn. Find me on Twitter. My Twitter handle is Pacifico. Kristen Pacifico. It's actually my first name, last name. So please uh, give me a shout there. But LinkedIn, I'm always super responsive to and would love to be able to talk with you, whether you're very embedded in a startup, building a startup, you're another VC, or just have curiosities about tech, entrepreneurship, innovation, would love to hear from you. Awesome. And guys, it's spelled like the beer, remember, Pacifico, (laughs) if that makes it easier. Kristen, awesome. Thanks so much. Appreciate you coming on. Can't wait to have you on again soon. Thanks, Matt. This is great. Take care. If you are a founder seeking venture capital investment at the pre-seed through Series A stage, check out Manifold Group. We're a venture holding company based in Chicago with offices in Dallas, Los Angeles, and soon Atlantic Canada. We believe early stage private investments represent an excellent investment opportunity, but existing investment models in the space leave much to be desired. Manifold is a new model for growth in the new economy designed to create and capture value at the early stage through synergies across its venture fund, incubation and acceleration studio, and advisory firm. Learn more about Manifold at www.manifold.group. And please tune in for the next Chicago Capital episode.